Welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on how Buffy has matured since its premiere in 1997. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. This is Season 1, Episode 11 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. I love that inversion, right? Normally it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, I literally wrote that in my notes and just now while saying it out loud, I corrected it myself. Um, but this this episode in my mind is a classic. Interesting. So is that the memory you had of it? Yeah, like this, out of all of season one, uh, except for Angel, of course, this episode's is the one I remember the most. It it lives rent-free in my mind. There's a lot about it that I remember. There's a couple things here I didn't remember, and it was nice to rewatch. But I just feel like whenever someone says the high school is hell trope, I think of this episode. This is the most on the nose. This is the metaphor is concrete in this episode to me. That's so interesting to me because I agree with your take there, but in terms of my memory of the episode, all I remembered was Invisible Girl. Ah. So it was a delight to rewatch this episode. And to me, this really cements in my mind that the second half of season one is quite strong, you know, other than maybe like Puppet Show and maybe I Robot Eugene, <laughs> like the second half of season one has some really good episodes. Like Nightmares is good and this episode is really good. And maybe we don't talk about them as much as we should because they get overshadowed by like the pilot and then uh, Prophecy Girl at the end. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about this episode because there's so much in this episode that I don't have to bash out on. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely have a few criticisms, sure. but for the most part, I really enjoyed just taking this ride. Yeah, and it's like I said, I, I this episode to me is classic. I think, you know, it's not up there with like the greatest of the greats, but I do think it's the top half of all Buffy yeah, episodes. it's solid. Mm-hmm. So we open with Cordelia, who's walking the school halls with her friend, who we learn is named Harmony. And I love Harmony. Anyone who's new to the show, Harmony sticks around and we see her for the majority of... The first half of Buffy anyway. And I think she's great. This is the second time that we've seen her. Last time we saw her was in The Harvest, but we didn't learn her name. So learn her name. Remember her Mm. name. It's Harmony. Well, and if Cordelia is Buffy's foil, which I mentioned in, I think, the first episode, um, and we'll talk more about that later in this episode. If Cordelia is Buffy's foil, Harmony is Cordelia's foil because Harmony is... Cordelia, if Cordelia were not actually that intelligent, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cor- Cordelia comes across as less intelligent sometimes or shallower because of the way that she speaks. But one of the things we see in this episode is that Cordelia is actually very smart. Oh, yes. Whereas yes. Harmony really is as vapid as she appears. Like, there is nothing going on under the <laughs> yeah. surface there with Harmony. So I agree with you, Steph. It's, it's lovely 
to see Harmony not develop <laughs> as, the, as the series goes she's on. She's tried and true. She's she's steady, this one. Uh, so it looks like Cordelia has found herself a boyfriend because not only is she talking to Harmony, she's got this tall, kind of good-looking white guy with his arm around her shoulder, and they're talking about the upcoming school dance known as the Spring Fling, and she's getting a dress specially made. And this guy says, oh, her dress must be blue, like her eyes. And Cordelia says, my eyes are hazel. And then she calls him Helen Keller. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. But... Yeah, some things... <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, bad, Cordelia, bad. But uh, Cordelia says that she hopes to be elected as May Queen for this spring fling. And for anyone who has seen Midsummer. Uh, I cannot ever hear the word May Queen again without it being destroyed in my mind. Um, so whenever, just know that whenever I say May Queen in this episode, I'm thinking of that movie. <laughs> um, Buffy comes out of the library and she trips and falls right in front of them, dropping all the contents in her bag, including a mace, some stakes, there's a sword in there, a cross, like everything and this is the second time that we've seen Buffy do this because in the pilot of course she was bumped into and dropped her bag with her stakes and we can only assume that she's done it many times <laughs> off screen and I'm just like Buffy why are you so klutzy <laughs> sometimes she's very coordinated and she's doing lots of gymnastics and Olympic style flips but sometimes she's really really klutzy and unfortunately it happened in front of Cordelia the school bully and Buffy, who likes to lean into lying, does it, but she does it really poorly, where before, like, sometimes she lies so well, but for whatever reason, Cordelia must make her nervous. I'm not sure. Oh, Buffy is terrible at lying in this episode. Yeah, it's really bad. So she says that she borrowed the weapons from Giles out of his personal collection so that she could have a show and tell at history class. And Harmony points out that Buffy is always hanging out with that creepy librarian in the creepy library. And first off, it's interesting that Harmony notices that Buffy's always hanging out with Giles, where none of the faculty seem to care about it. And secondly, is Giles creepy? Like, is, does something about him give off a creepy vibe to students? I think to Harmony, he's creepy, <laughs> right? Because he's an older man, he's British. His, his particular British accent, like, and his voice comes off as a little creepy. Like, um, Anthony Stewart Head, who plays Giles... He has a guest role in an episode of Doctor Who, uh, a slightly more uh, modern episode, and he plays a villain, and he plays a very creepy villain. Like, I, th I think uh, Anthony Stewart Head is one of those actors who can kind of turn on a dime, and he can be a good guy or a bad guy, but the, the line between them for him is very thin. So I, I, I can totally see Giles as creepy from somebody's perspective. Okay, interesting, interesting. But I like what you said that like Harmony would find him creepy because that's how Harmony is. Uh, but I do wonder if that tracks with the rest of the school. Uh, Cordy wonders why the, the school admits mentals. That's what she says. <laughs> Cordy, again, why? And uh, they walk off while telling the story of when Buffy attacked her at the bronze. So Buffy is looking after them because she was just bullied and she's looking sad about it. We're in English class and the teacher called Mrs. Miller is teaching them about the Merchant of Venice from Shakespeare. And Cordelia is giving her opinion 
about the theme of outcasts in society, which ties right into the theme of this episode. And she says that Shylock is whining and he's too self-involved and he thinks the whole world's about him and he's so wrapped up in his own oppression that he can't see the pain of other people who are oppressed around him. She does tell an anecdote, a story, where she ran over a girl with her bike and it was the most traumatizing moment of Cordelia's life and the girl was trying to make it about her leg completely ignoring Cordelia's pain in the moment. Um, So this episode really shows how Cordelia is smart in a a couple different ways. In my opinion, I was just like, wow, Cordelia actually does her homework. Like she actually is well read from what it appears. Perhaps her opinions, you know, leave less to be desired and the way she's interpreting the text. But I love that she's engaged in this conversation because I think a stereotypical popular girl in a TV show or movie would be unengaged with this kind of thing, like not as interested in school, more interested in gossiping and all that stuff. But Cordelia is actually really into this class. And I like that a lot. I think that's a really good point. And after the the discussion ends and the bell rings, which why would the teacher leave it until right at the end of class to start a discussion? (laughs) And you only have time to hear from one student. That's poor time management. Very true. Um, But Cordelia then goes up to Ms. Miller and is like, hey, Ms. Miller, can I get help with my essay? And it's almost like she she's asking after class. She doesn't want the other her other popular friends to see her yeah. like caring about school. But I thought that was really sweet. And Ms. Miller is like, yeah, I'll help you out, which, you know, oh, oh, dear, poor Ms. Miller, <laughs> another helpful Sunnydale High teacher. Um, I do have a little bit of criticism for this scene because... Speaking from my perspective as a teacher and as an English teacher, Miss Miller is not doing a great job here at having a class discussion. Uh, I already mentioned, of course, the time management issue. And then, like, she's acknowledging Cordelia's points, but she's not really challenging them. It's almost as if she's not really paying attention <laughs> to what Cordelia is saying. Maybe she's checked out. But also, there's a broader issue here of you just opened this discussion, grounding it in the topic of Jewish identity and oppression. And you then you let this white girl go on about her own, center herself in the discussion. And Ms. Miller just seems completely insensitive to the fact that there are probably Jewish students in her classroom. I mean, hello, Willow. Like, mm-hmm. it just seems like if you're going to have a, conver- a very serious discussion about Shylock uh, and his Jewish identity in The Merchant of Venice... You probably shouldn't let Cordelia hog it and center it. So I just want to say, like, Ms. Miller, I know your heart's in the right place. You want to help out your students, but you need to do a little bit better here. I want to bring up, too, that Ms. Miller is a woman of color. And Mm -hmm. like you just said, how she should be more sensitive to people who might be Jewish in her class. Cordelia is talking about oppression, you'd think that she would have more engaging things to say about that as a woman of color. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like we said, like Cordelia, you're like a white girl talking about oppression. There are other voices, including the teachers, that might have more to say about it. Like you said, after class, Cordelia approaches Miss Miller, and she probably did do it because she doesn't want her friends to hear. Uh, but Willow hears and rolls her eyes when Miss Miller says, um, <laughs> good observations. <laughs> And you see Willow give a really big eye roll. But I like that Cordelia is seeking help on her essay. She's saying, I'm really unfocused and all my thoughts are contradicting. And can her teacher help her 
like map out her essay more and i love that and like once again i'm like cordelia is really showing that she might be more school smart or book smart than we think or at least more dedicated to doing well in class this little comparison to buffy who struggles but she doesn't put this much effort and cordelia is so anyway they're gonna she's gonna help her tomorrow after school and on her way out cordelia meets up with harmony and they start talking about her may queen dress and she says mitch is gonna die when he sees it and don't you guys know you're on a hellmouth don't say that don't say anything like that ever so of course after she says that we cut to the locker room (laughs) and we all know what that means well this is the first time we're seeing the boys (laughs) locker room though so it could be different stuff. Hey, I don't think it's going to be, but yeah, you're right. This is the male locker room. Let's find out what happens. Mitch is showering and he's approached by two bros who ask him if he's going to go to the bronze that night because obviously it's a Wednesday. What else are these people going to be doing? Uh, he says he has to pick up his tux. And then one of the guys says, "You, yeah, that's like you got to look good if you're on Cordelia's arm. And Mitch says, it's not her arm I'm looking to be on. <laughs> Wait, which okay. also doesn't make sense to me. Like, what are you going to be on with Cordelia? Um, her body. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is literal locker room talk. Yes, and I hate it. And it's disgusting. And that's why I'm glad when something approaches Mitch from behind, you hear evil laughter, female laughter. And uh, he asks who's there, as they all do. And we see a floating bat start beating on Mitch. A baseball bat, not a, an animal a, bat. A, yeah, sorry, a baseball bat. <laughs> Cut to credits. So we open in the school hallway, and Cordelia is campaigning for May Queen by handing out chocolates that have the letter C on them. C stands for Cordelia, that she needs to let Harmony know, because she didn't know what it stood for. Uh She's about to offer one to Buffy, but then says, I don't need the loony fringe vote at the school. And this is now I'm counting them. And I, I, know, I know I'm saying them all out loud and repeating them, but that's four. Three or four. <laughs> Fuck. It's at least three ableist uh, insults. Yeah. And there will be more <sighs> before the episode is over. Yeah. So I need to I want to call that out because it's the, this episode has so many of them. So I don't know what headspace the writers were in that, that week. So Buffy gives a very bad comeback, which is very unlike her. And she says, I don't even like chocolates. And Buffy's off her game this episode. It's only like the, the second scene. And I feel like Buffy, she tripped in front of them. She gives a bad comeback. Buffy, what's going on? Xander and Willow join her and they start reminiscing about a field trip they took in middle school and they're giggling and they're laughing. There's a huge inside joke here. And Buffy is very visibly feeling left out by this because obviously she wasn't at school when when they're telling the story. And the point of the story is that Cordelia has a history of trying too hard. Mm -hmm. And Xander tries to make her feel better by saying that only a moron would want to be May Queen. And there's number four. (laughs) And Buffy admits that she was the May Queen at her old school in LA. Yeah. And she had a coronation and a dance and all that stuff. And, you know, she's sounding very wistful. This is why, Xander, you need to be careful and think before you make fun of things. Because you don't know. You don't know what Buffy thinks of the May Queen. And now you've just gone and 
you know, you've doubled down on the hurt that she's feeling. So good job, Xander, as yeah. usual. Classic Xander. Um, but that's the thing, too. It's so interesting because obviously Buffy is feeling sad because those days are over. Like she was exactly where Cordelia was the year before. And now not that she's fallen from high school grace, <laughs> But she's remembering how what a good time that was and how much it meant to her back then. And the fact that if she was the leader of her school, I'm assuming she was a grade nine then. So she won May Cream when she was in grade nine, like the lowest of the low. Yeah, so I, she was I, only th- I thought climb. about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she must have been a freshman because, yeah, they've got two more years after this. So, yeah, yeah I thought so about that. She must that. have been crazy popular, crazy mm-hmm. popular at that school to beat out a senior or a junior or whatever. So to to now be at this new high school where she's being judged for being popular before, <laughs> kind of by Xander, right? Like, it's just an interesting change of pace for her. So I'm feeling this from Buffy this episode. Uh, this is when a kid runs it into the hallway and says, you guys have got to come see this. Mitch got wailed on. I think he's and then dead. <laughs> we cut to Principal Snyder, who's saying dead. Of course, he's not dead. What are you ghouls? No dead students this week. <laughs> I just that was a very meta line and I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. There, we, no one's dead this week. <laughs> and so this is this is the part where I noticed Buffy sucking at lying. It was only a small taste of what we got earlier, because now Mitch is being carted out of the school by paramedics and, and Buffy asks him what happened. And miraculously, the paramedics stop to allow him to tell Buffy's story <laughs> rather than rushing him to the hospital. And he basically just says what we saw, the, a floating bat like attacked him and knocked him out. And Buffy just says right there in front of everybody, including Principal Snyder, she says, I'm going to go check out the scene. <laughs> and Buffy, like, I don't know. Nothing in this season has told me that Buffy is stealthy at all. Do you remember the witch episode where she had to dump that witch uh, and, and, brew on top of And her Amy? surveillance, like, trench coat outfit in iRobot <laughs> yeah, UJ? Like, she's really bad. She's not a spy, that's for sure. Anyway, yeah, Snyder hears this obviously and he tells her to stay away from the crime scene and accuses her of always sticking her nose in things and uh this is when willow cuts in with a really brilliant distraction and says sue did you say that mitch was gonna sue the school which of course would get snyder's attention and he's like what have you heard he goes to talk to willow (laughs) yeah willow and xander do a great job here they are much better than buffy at improvising and lying and Good job. Oh, yeah. Good Willow's way friends. better at it. And Willow says something. This is my favorite line of the whole episode where she's like, oh, yeah, Mitch's dad is like a powerful lawyer. The other lawyers call him the beast. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so good. So Buffy goes into the cursed locker room, uh, which is spread from the girls locker room to the boys and finds the bloody bat on the ground because you know what at a crime scene no need to take the bat right just we're just gonna leave it there um, for the next locker room massacre to happen and uh she notices that the lockers have been spray painted with the word look so in the cafeteria she's telling willow and xander about this and giles meets up with them and she says this is different from usual monster stuff because usually monsters don't leave messages or clues or anything like that. So something different. And Giles says he's never heard of a lone baseball bat assault. And Xander suggests it could be a vampire bat. (laughs) And you know me, I love a good pun. I thought that was funny. Giles starts listing off 
things that it could be telekinesis, invisible creatures, angry poltergeists. And also, I don't know if you noticed, but I was scanning the background of the scene and there is a giant Cordelia Chase vote for me day queen poster oh my gosh it is wonderful it's like so glam (laughs) it's like clearly her headshot from like you know charisma carpenter's headshot and it just says like vote for cordelia or whatever but i'm like i want it it's so extra i want to do you want to run for may queen is this like i'm gonna run for it's not that you want to become may queen but you want to have the whole experience (laughs) of like campaign exactly yeah c for chow (laughs) (laughs) so they they think it could be a ghost and if it is a ghost perhaps it's the ghost of a dead student at the school so i guess they're thinking it could be dave or emily or fritz or morgan there's like buffy is like willow why don't you go compile a list of all the students who've died and that's just such a like a gruesome macabre task to give to willow right like that's a long list already that's gonna take her days (laughs) there's so many dead students at the school dead or missing too (sighs) missing as well so cordelia and harmony are on the balcony on the outdoor hallway yeah mezzanine (laughs) maybe mezzanine that's a good word i'll use that And uh, it's overlooking the quad and they're talking about Mitch and Cordelia had gone to visit him in the hospital. And what she's upset about is that he'll look black and blue for their prom photos or for the the dance photos. And again, Cordelia showing her shallow side that she's more concerned about how he'll look next to her as opposed to his well-being. But Mitch was a douche earlier in the episode, so I'm going to let her have it. I want to add here that Harmony says they can do great things with airbrushes these days. And that's that's very true. <laughs> Good support, Harmony. Uh, this is when we cut to a flashback. And we know it's a flashback because it's greeny and in sepia tones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it's exactly the same area, the same scene where Harmony and Cordelia, Cordelia are talking on the mezzanine. And they're having a very similar conversation. But we know it was a few weeks earlier because they're talking about how Mitch had just gone through a breakup and he's on the prowl and Cordelia will consider him if he makes varsity baseball. So the camera is pointing at them and we hear a girl say, hey, guys, and Cordelia retorts with a very aggressive, what do you want? And then we cut back to the present and Buffy's approaching Cordelia and asking her if she can talk. And that's when Harmony is violently pushed down the stairs to the ground area of the quad. And it's actually so brutal the way she falls down it. That must have been a really tricky scene for the stunt person. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like a small space. It's not like a wide staircase. And it's all stone from what I can tell. Mm hmm. And Principal Snyder is at the bottom of the stairs and everyone's running to see if Harmony is okay. And Harmony says that she thinks her ankle is broken. And I'm like, girl, you are so lucky. That looked like, like, Giles barely gets a concussion every time he's hit in the head. Like, that should have put you in the hospital with, like, Laura from the Nightmares episode type of injuries, like internal bleeding. That's how brutal that fall looked to me. Buffy asks, what happened? And Snyder says, hey, I'm the principal here. What happened? <laughs> Snyder's just great. He's not in most of this episode, but for the parts that he's in, he's great. He's so wonderful in this scene. Um, Harmony persists and she's like, I, I was pushed. Like, I, uh, someone pushed me. And uh, Snyder kneels down next to her and she goes, ow! And he says, don't sue. 
so good. Oh. I'm really enjoying Snyder. This rewatch, I'm actually enjoying Snyder. This is the second time good. that we've seen him. Yeah. Before, I didn't think anything of him, really. I was kind of just like, oh, he's a nuisance. But now I'm finding him very, very comedic. Yeah. Buffy hears laughter going up the stairs, so she follows it into the music room or the band room. She feels someone push past her. Like, she feels a presence push past her, and she... And she knows that something's up and um, she's just like, hey, I just want to talk, whoever you are. But she doesn't get a response. But we as the audience see one of the ceiling tiles being lifted up. Into the next scene, there are two random men in suits standing outside the high school. uh, Looking pretty suspicious. That's when Buffy, Xander, and Willow and Giles are, are leaving school and discussing what ghosts are like. And Giles says, ghosts make your hair stand on the on end. And it's like, there's like a cold presence when they're around. Uh, and Buffy then says that whoever touched her wasn't cold. And she heard the laughter. So they're kind of narrowing down that it's a girl who's invisible. And Xander takes this opportunity to say that he thinks being able to turn invisible would be cool. And he'd use the power to protect the girl's locker room. Xander... Xander, we're trying so hard not to bash you every single episode, but you are not making our job easy here. Well, it's like, yeah, we know, Xander. We know that's what you would do because you we know that you peek on girls changing and nothing would make you happier than to watch a group of girls shower. But I will say this, Kara. On the other hand, the girls' locker room does need to be patrolled True. because it's evil. So I'm a little bit torn here. But is Xander the right choice? No, no, no. Angel is the right choice. Ooh. <laughs> no, ooh, I take that back. No. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I don't know who's the right choice, but it does need to be patrolled. Oh, Stephanie's true Stephanie's true thoughts emerge, right? Like I just love how automatic that response was, even though it's so wrong. It's so wrong, but I was thinking I was the girl in the lock using the locker room. It's like, oh damn, Angel's patrolling. I guess I, it's time to go work out, you know? Like Oh dear. That's where my mind is going. <laughs> it's just that kind of Thursday night, you know, Kara? So willow asks if it's a witch because they know how to handle a witch and uh they figure out that uh this invisible girl is obviously holding a grudge and that's when they put together that hey harmony plus mitch equals cordelia so cordelia could very possibly be the target and as willow and xander leave and willow promises to do her dead student list that night uh, we hear xander invite willow over for dinner mm-hmm. i just thought that was a very small moment of sweetness i'm like that's cute right but it's also there to once again emphasize how xander and willow have a a special friendship built on knowing each other longer and once again buffy is excluded from that mm, that's true i didn't even think about it that way i was just like cute scene <laughs> But you're right, they're very much, uh, they have a, a long history and richer, longer friendship. Buffy tells Giles that she's going to hunt tonight, and Giles asks her how she'll hunt someone she can't see. And I'm going to pause here because in just three years, Hollow Man, the movie starring Kevin Bacon, will come out, and they'll tell you exactly how to hunt someone who's invisible. <laughs> It's a great movie. I highly recommend it. And what you do is you throw paint on them. Uh, 
Giles says, you'll have to work on your listening. That night, Buffy's in the school hallway and she's hanging out there because Cordelia was going to be getting ready for the dance, doing her dress stuff. So she's hanging around there in case Cordelia is the target. And she peers into a classroom and we see Cordelia in there surrounded by friends and they're all working on her May Queen dress. And I just want to ask a very obvious question, which is why is this happening at the school? Why are the girls making the dress why are they doing it at night? What is going on? I don't have answers for you, Steph. Um, <laughs> except that, obviously, we needed this scene to show that Cordelia has what Buffy once had, right? This is Cordelia being mm -hmm. Buffy's foil. Buffy was once the May Queen, and now she is no longer. She no longer has the coterie of popular friends uh, stooping to meet her every need and every whim. And Cordelia has that. And I, I like the framing of this scene, the way that Buffy is looking in through the window of the door. And it, there's not a lot of dialogue in this scene, but you can see on her face just this sense of loss and the sense of longing for what Cordelia has right now. So I think it's interesting. You know, this is one of those episodes mm -hmm. where Cordelia kind of, wants what Buffy has in a way we'll learn more about that and then Buffy kind of wants what Cordelia has right it's this whole thing of like you always want what you don't have I think that's bang on and I also see it as just a great sense of loneliness for Buffy who like you said she probably had all those friends a year ago and she lost every friend she ever had in LA mm -hmm. and probably friends that she's had just like Xander and Willow friends she's had since she was a little girl and she's not in contact with them anymore probably because she burnt down their school gymnasium and it also shows you know Xander and Willow went off to have a nice little friend dinner together Cordelia's in here getting ready for the dance with her friends and Buffy's patrolling alone so just shows that being a slayer means loneliness and we're definitely going to explore more of that as the series goes on well speaking of the uh, not being able to get what you want when you're a slayer we cut to are you we cut you to giles in the library and and my my boyfriend <laughs> um yeah well we okay so first we hear a flute plague giles and buffy hears it but giles in the library and he hears the door open and he thinks it's the invisible girl come to a, to attack him with a bat. But he looks in the reflection. It's just him. But when he turns around again, boom, there's Angel. I had forgotten that he shows up in this episode. It was such a surprise to me. Like a welcome surprise. I wrote that exact same thing in my notes. I said, I forgot Angel was in this episode. What a lovely surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you, first of all, there are a lot of things from this scene between Giles and Angel. This is the first time we see Giles and Angel mm -hmm. interact, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. Uh, secondly, we learn that angels don't cast reflections because we haven't learned that yet. You mean vampires. In the Buffyverse. So what did I say? <laughs> you said angels. <laughs> all right, let me... Let me de-angel fly myself for a second, except I don't think I can. So yeah, vampires and angel don't cast reflections. Uh, Giles is very weary of angel, and it's because Giles, obviously as a watcher, knows a lot about vampires. But let's also not forget that Giles read all of those watcher diaries about angel's past. Mm -hmm. So he knows what angel's it's done. It's basically the 90s equivalent of reading angel's Wikipedia page. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like Giles knows what he's capable of. So and and he's a vampire. So he's very weary of him. And uh, they do so much of reminding us that Angel is a vampire because we haven't seen Angel in a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. And the last episode was Angel, the episode where he revealed that he was a vampire and it was a big deal. So it's almost like every third line in this scene with him is like just reminding us that once again, Angel's a vampire, you guys, okay? Don't forget. Uh, Giles asks if Angel's here to see Buffy and Angel says he can't. It's too hard to be around her. Giles says, a vampire in love with a slayer. It's rather poetic in a maudlin sort of way. This is to remind us that Buffy and Angel are in love, (laughs) but they can't be together because he's a vampire. Don't forget. And I also want to add here, I wonder how long Giles will have this very passe or poetic view of Buffy and Angel's love. (laughs) But right now it's the first meeting and he's just kind of like, oh, interesting. Angel is here to talk to Giles about the Vampire King. Remember him? The master. Vaguely? Is he is he the guy who works with Colin? Yeah, that's Colin's friend. Okay. <laughs> Colin's babysitter. Angel says something big is already in motion, but he doesn't know what. So once again, Angel just delivered this half-baked info, just given a couple warnings, but without any concrete evidence or examples. But we know, as the viewer... And as people who have watched the show before, Angel is clearly setting up something very important and big for next week's episode, which is the season finale. So uh, he asks Giles if he's read the Slayer lore. Giles says he has studied the extant volume, but the salient books of Slayer prophecy are lost. And he names two of them. One is Tiberius Manifesto. And the other one is the Pergamum Codex, which apparently is the most complete prophecy of the Slayer's role in the End Years. What the End Years is, I'm not sure. But the book was lost in the 15th century. Perhaps Moloch, the corrupter, knows where it is. (laughs) Angel says that (laughs) the books were misplaced and he can get it. How convenient. How very convenient, Angel. Thank you so much for coming and letting us know. And Giles is beyond happy about this. And, you know, if you if you want to make your girlfriend's dad happy, <laughs> like find him a rare book that was thought to be lost centuries ago. <laughs> uh, this, like, this is how you get to his heart, right? Giles tells Angel about their invisible girl problem. And he thinks it's fascinating and a wonderful power to possess. And Angel looks sadly at his non-reflection and says that not seeing anything there is an overrated pleasure. Once again, because he's a vampire, let's not forget. And imagine, imagine, Kara, looking like Angel and not being able to see yourself. (laughs) The tragedy. (laughs) The pure tragedy. So I just want to point out that this is perhaps the healthiest scene with two male characters so far in this show. What are you talking about? Giles and Xander have had many interactions <laughs> with Exactly, <each> Steph. Exactly. <laughs> point taken. No, that's that's really, really good to point out. And of course it would be between Giles and Angel, the two heroes of the Buffy series. It's just an it's just a nice scene where, you know, they're getting along and they both have the same goal and 
there's no awkward sexual talk like it's it's good i mean my bar is low when it comes to male characters interacting on this show but as it should be but that's i mean this is the thing though like i I agree with you i really enjoyed the scene and and no it's not just because angels in it it's because (laughs) i like their conversation and we're setting up a lot of stuff for Mm -hmm. not just next week's episode but for a lot of things that are to come Mm -hmm. in in buffy so we cut to uh another flashback a girl is in the bathroom looking in the mirror and that's when cordelia and her clique come in and they're talking about uh, a lecture that they were all in and the girl's trying to interject with her opinion and her and a joke just to like she's trying to make friends basically and they completely ignore her and then she tries again harmony says we're talking okay like super rudely and it's so mean and then cordelia steals the girl's joke so she heard her she just didn't mm-hmm. acknowledge and then they leave and the girls it's so it's so real and it's so sad how the girl is like smiling and laughing like haha and then as soon as they leave her face drops and you know like that was brutal and that mm-hmm. hurt and now she's getting sour she's starting to oh i just anything any situation like that is just awful and we really feel bad for this girl yeah shout out to the actor clea duval which uh you know i think a lot of people watching the episode along with us will probably recognize her because she's been in a lot of uh quite high profile things since then including um i know her from veep and Mm -hmm. uh i believe she was also in the handmaid's tale recently so it's just interesting to see these actors you know it's like 20 years ago and now it's like oh hey i recognize you from something more recent yeah it's like i know you because you're the invisible girl and i only (laughs) know what you look like because of the flashbacks that they show in that episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh next day at school cordelia is named may queen she was successful in her campaigning and uh she's giving a speech about how (laughs) being popular is her right and responsibility and she's taking it very seriously uh Buffy is wearing her spy glasses and uh, watching over Cordelia and Willow and Xander approach her and Willow has the list of dead and missing kids, <laughs> which is more than a few pages and hands it to Buffy. And they notice that they're, those two men, the suspicious men, are standing in the quad uh, and they wonder if they're Cordelia's bodyguards. Uh, uh, while reading the list, they zero in on a girl named Marcy Ross, who disappeared six months ago. The, none of them know who she is, but she was a flutist in the band, and Buffy heard a flute the night before. So she says she's going to go check it out in the band room, and I'll point out again, Xander and Willow walk away. And they look really chummy again. Mm-hmm. Like Xander puts his hand on her back. And mm-hmm. now that you've pointed out that that's just to show how Buffy, you know, is kind of just to well, isolate her a little bit more. Because I, when I was watching this episode, because I didn't remember it very well, I had this idea that the writers were trying to kind of get us thinking that maybe, oh, maybe Buffy's going to turn invisible next, right? Like <gasps> maybe this is going to spread so because she's feeling isolated and lonely and like people aren't paying attention to her so that doesn't eventually happen but um it, i just i thought that was kind of the direction that buffy they were going in to kind of like mislead us or get us thinking about what might be happening i think that is correct not having been in the writer's room but like that must be what they're going for I because think, we're getting that idea well and i think i also might be confusing it with 
I believe there is an episode in a later season where Buffy does turn invisible, at least temporarily. So, of course, my my Buffy brain is just kind of like jumbling things up now. No, but I think that's a really astute way to look at Marcy's situation versus Buffy and how she's feeling now. And we can actually talk a little bit more about that later on in the mm-hmm. episode. There's there's a very specific scene where we can talk about loneliness and being a mm-hmm. high school student, right? But yeah, that's that's great. We're in the music room and Buffy sees footprints on a chair. So she immediately figures out that someone's in the in the ceiling. <laughs> a little bit of a leap, but okay. But you know what? Go with your gut, Buffy. She crawls in and gets to this little area or like a little nest area. Uh, there's a flute, a sleeping bag, a flashlight, a teddy bear. I think we've found Marcy's hideout. The camera angle makes us think that she's being watched. Probably by Marcy. Uh, Buffy's looking through the Sunnydale yearbook and... She sees that Marcy Ross is written in it, so she knows she's found her girl. Behind Buffy, a floating knife. Looks like it's about to, like, stab her in the back, but it doesn't. And Marcy gives Buffy a pass and allows her to leave with her yearbook. Okay, so here's my question. You have magically been turned invisible. So you don't go back home. Fine. Why do you spend six months living in your high school? Like, in that time, could she not have gone somewhere better and maybe less painful? Let me tell you a little bit of what I would do if I was invisible. I know. I would rob a bank. Well, (laughs) I was going to say you'd go and hang out at Angel's place, but... Well, after that, I would rob a bank. Yeah, like, there's so many awesome things that you could do if you were invisible. Obviously, I went straight to crime, but, like, you yeah, would so clearly, get away with so much. Clearly, this <laughs> is an indication of just how incredibly traumatized Marcy must be. Not just by the experience of turning invisible, but, you know, she's so caught up in her trauma around high school that she can't shake herself free. Well, I mean, we'll find out later, too, but, like, she's obviously chosen a path of revenge, Mm-hmm. as opposed to going off and discovering her own life. But the fact that she's, you know, has no friends and no one even knows who she is and she plays the flute, like clearly somebody who hasn't come into her own doesn't know who she is yet, right? So maybe mm-hmm. she just felt like the only thing I can do is mouse around the school because that's what I did when I wasn't invisible. Cut to Miss Miller, who's waiting for Cordelia to come so that she can help her with her essay and we hear marcy's laughter and then marcy takes a plastic bag and puts it over miss miller's head and begins to suffocate her i know it's very just it's very disturbing because you don't see it coming you don't expect it and suddenly right because up until now yes marcy has been violent but it's just such a visceral it's like the neck snapping thing from i robot eugene it's just like wow (laughs) yeah well, that's the thing, too. So, so yeah, so she beat up Mitch with a bat and she shoved Harmony down the stairs. But now all of a sudden she's like wielding knives. And now she's literally trying to murder this teacher who hasn't done anything. Hasn't. Well, we see later like what she possibly oh, did dear. She to didn't, cause a rift. She didn't pick Marcy during a discussion. Like, I don't think you deserve a bag over your head for that. You would say that because you're an English teacher. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I'm biased. You're right. I don't get an opinion. (laughs) But that's the thing. No, it's true. It's like you went from like, I don't know, like a five to an 11 
within an hour. Yeah. So why are you so all of a sudden, like we were feeling bad for you, Marcy, like Cordelia was a bitch to you. You wanted to make friends and no one wanted to be friends with you. But now you're trying to murder someone who's really innocent, like Miss Miller, and we're not having it. So we're losing sympathy for you. Good thing Cordelia comes in just then and uh, saves Miss Miller's life. Marcy starts drawing on the chalkboard, and of course she's invisible, so it's just the chalk, very Matilda-like, and writes, listen. So Marcy's gone to the dark side, and Buffy is in the library showing the gang the yearbook. And written inside the yearbook are a bunch of have a nice summer messages, which Xander says is the kiss of death. And Willow and Xander both agree that that's what you write when you have no friends or when no one knows who mm-hmm. you are. A very generic message to leave. And turns out both Willow and Xander had written that in Marcy's well, yearbook. No, but- Willow wrote, have a great summer. So, <laughs> okay. so it's a little bit better. But she- Willow's horrified because she's like, oh, my gosh, I, even me, who's like mm-hmm. the lowest of the low on the social totem pole, I don't even know who this girl is. And I contributed to her feeling mm-hmm. alone and feeling unnoticed. Xander says, hey, like he's trying to come up with an excuse as to why they would do that. He's like, hey, it's a big school. How big is it, Xander? How big could Sunnydale High possibly be? Yeah, no, I don't. That's not. That's just Xander making an excuse. (laughs) Yeah. So Giles then says that he's been looking at physics and reality is shaped or even created by our perception. So on a hell mouth. And alt mystical energy, Marcy was perceived as invisible by her peers, so she became so. That's when we cut back to English class and we see Miss Miller calling on every student, even Xander, but not Marcy. And I want to pause here because th- this <laughs> English class is hyped. Like this, is, this is an active English class. Everyone's enthusiastic. She must be a really good teacher. That's not exactly. I would I would sign up for Miss Miller's Shakespeare lecture because everybody's engaged, even Xander's engaged. Everyone's hands raised. Everyone wants to give their opinion. They all want to talk about the Merchant of Venice or or Twelfth Night or whatever it is they're talking about. Like it looks so fun. It's fun for everyone except for Marcy, who never gets called on, and then she starts to notice that her hand is turning invisible, going invisible, <laughs> starting to be see through. <laughs> Sign me up for your class, Miss Miller. The gang really understands Marcy. They get why she'd be miffed about this. They also know that she's for sure targeting Cordelia because the picture of Cordelia in the yearbook is heavily vandalized. And Cordelia also senses this, and that's when she comes into the library. Cordelia Chase is in the library, and it's wonderful to see. It's great. And she's there because she says to Buffy, I know we've had our differences uh, with you being weird and hanging out with these losers. <laughs> but you know that I uh, that we both know that someone is after me. Think about it like Harmony, Miss Miller, Mitch, like it's about me, 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 me. And you're right, Cordelia, for once it is all about you. I know. And I love that Cordelia, like she's pieced together that Buffy's involved in weird things, right? Like this is... Yeah. saturated her brain but then she says i was hoping you were in a gang and it's yeah. just like well of course like that's how cordelia would rationalize this yeah yeah she's like you're really strong and you have weapons like you must be in a gang which means you can help me also i am loving cordelia's white dress and i want it 
Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she had a cute blue dress on at the beginning of the episode as well. Mm. And I actually have one very similar to that because nice. you and I have great fashion sense. <laughs> Giles mentions that he's never seen Cordelia in the library before. And she says, oh, no, I have a life. <laughs> ah, I love her. They tell her what's up. It's an invisible girl who's after her looking for some sort of revenge. She just brushes that off. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, they don't know why she's homicidal, but Cordelia's just like, oh, I've never seen her before. But we know that from the flashbacks, that's not true. Mm-hmm. We cut to Marcy's hideout, her little nest, and she's having a serious fit. And she's ranting to herself, and she's just like, Cordelia and her slut friends ruined my life. And now they got to learn. <laughs> and we cr- briefly pan into a rope and a doctor's bag. So back in the library, the gang is discussing the messages, look and listen that Marcy left behind. And they can deduce that it's all coming down to the spring fling and the May Queen ceremony. Something about that's going on. So apparently the coronation for the May Queen is happening that night at the bronze. Why would a school event be taking place at this seedy, cockroach-infested, gang-violent children's hangout? (laughs) And uh, Cordelia says nothing is keeping her from the bronze tonight. And she says, like, you know, if she's not crowned May Queen tonight, then Marcy wins. <laughs> With, yeah. And, and yeah, and Buffy's like, yeah. But also, maybe this these activities will draw Marcy out and we can use you as bait, basically. So Giles will keep researching a way to cure Marcy but Marcy is listening behind the stacks, just like Darla listened behind the stacks in Angel. Like, people, you need to put cameras back there. <laughs> yeah, cameras would really work in this situation. Oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> you need to put sensors back there. <laughs> Cordelia and Buffy are in the hallway uh, talking and walking. And Cordelia says it's kind of creepy that Marcy was stalking them for a couple months, like listening into all their conversations. But then Cordelia does something that's been very out of her character, that is very out of her character from what we've seen up till now you know 11 episodes in she expresses sympathy for marcy and what she went through and says it's it's a bummer for her and it's awful to feel lonely and buffy gets a little snarky and she's like oh did you read something about it one time or something like that and cordelia says something that gives us more insight into her character than we've ever had before and uh, i wrote out what she said she says hey You think I'm never lonely because I'm so cute and popular? I can be surrounded by people and be completely alone. It's not like any of them really know me. I don't even know if they like me half the time. People just want to be in a popular zone. Sometimes when I talk, everyone's so busy agreeing with me, they don't hear a word I say. And Buffy says, then why do you work so hard to be popular? And she says, it beats being alone all by yourself. I love that you transcribe that because i got chills when i saw that scene and i'm like oh we have to like clip this or something because it's one of the best speeches in this season and Mm -hmm. i just i love it i love her rejoinder to buffy after buffy asked that question and she's like well it's better than being alone by herself like it's it's a particular philosophy towards approaching the high school as hell experience right is Cordelia has decided to deal with the hell that is her high school by insulating herself 
with her popular group of friends and that's one approach to doing it so oh yeah yep. i i agree with you it's such a good moment let's just go back and it is that moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah everyone go back and rewatch it then come back uh it really just shows that Cordelia, under all of her shallow exterior, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's obsessed with her popularity. She's obsessed with the way she looks and the way she's perceived. Mm-hmm. What she's saying is that she really fears being alone and she fears rejection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more that we see Marcy become destructive and become violent, we're starting to see Cordelia being more sympathetic more human more human and we're starting to come over to cordelia's side of things now yeah which is the first time this is happening yes this since is we started this is it this is the episode cordelia has mm-hmm. been in the main the the credits for the main cast this entire season so far she's just been comic relief and maybe like a bully like a thorn in buffy's side this is the turning point this is when we start to see cordelia as a more fully realized three-dimensional character and it's so lovely it's so good yeah we've been hinting for the last 10 episodes about how there's so much more to cordelia than what they're showing here and here we're finally seeing cordelia wears popularity as her identity like if she wasn't popular Mm. who is she i don't even think she knows and i love that side of her yeah and, and kudos to charisma carpenter for being able to balance all those different aspects of cordy's personality and playing her yeah. as more of an airhead, you know, mean girl in the first few episodes and then turning and exposing this deeper side to her and this more sympathetic character. And it's just like the acting is just so good in this episode. You know, earlier we talked about when she was in class, I was impressed with her her ability to express her opinion and Mm -hmm. it showed that she has a very intelligent side to her well the way she's describing the way she is with her friends and her popular status shows that she has an incredible amount of emotional intelligence yes and i think a lot of people might struggle with the idea that popular people do have a lot of emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. and you need it you kind of need it to be liked Mm-hmm. To be popular and to be well-liked or at least well-known, you need to have some sort of charisma, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> you need to have some sort of charm and you need to have a personality that matches, let's say, like, sure, you're really good looking, mm-hmm. but that only gets you so far. Just look at Mean Girls, right? Like mm-hmm. Karen and Mean Girls is the prettiest, but Regina with the personality is the one that's the queen bee. Mm-hmm. So when I think about Cordelia and how much she's showing not only her intelligence when it comes to school it's her emotional intelligence here where she is playing a role that she knows she'll be successful at yeah and she knows it'll take her far and so much about being popular and in high school is about the way you look and she used her popularity and her natural beauty as a weapon against people who don't have those things like marcy uh which is awful but would anyone say that if they didn't have the same tools, the intelligence and the beauty that Cordelia had, would they not want to be popular? Like, would they have used them in any other way? Mm, I don't know. In a high I, I, I think it's complicated, but I, yeah, yeah, I'm I, just saying, I agree with your general thesis here. Play to your strengths. And Cordelia is <laughs> doing that, right? She's she's she laid yeah. it out. This, this is what she's doing. And it is very lonely for her sometimes, but she'd rather do that than be what she calls total losers like Willow and Xander. (laughs) So uh, we cut to the library and Willow, Xander, and Giles hear flute playing. So they go to investigate and 
they <laughs> follow it all the way into the basement where not a week ago, Willow was abducted into a nightmare dream and Laura was assaulted. <laughs> so as they get deeper and deeper into the basement, they enter a back room and they see that the flute was just a recording and Marcy slams the door shut behind them and turns on gas. <gasps> so while this is happening, Buffy opens up a closet or some sort of like back room and says, Cordelia, go in there and change into your May Queen dress. It looks fine to me. Uh, Buffy's trying to talk to Cordelia through the door, trying to say like, hey, I relate to you uh, back when I was popular. Like I felt those things. And Cordelia says, in what alternate universe were you popular? <laughs> and and Cordelia once again says, that's is that when you got weird and got kicked out of school? So Cordelia had her moment of sharing, but now she's not listening to what Buffy's trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Buffy hears a commotion and Cordelia stops rep responding. And Buffy can't get into the room because it's locked. So she punches a hole through the door, goes in. And that's just in time to see Cordelia's feet <laughs> rising up through the, the ceiling. And how strong yes, is exactly. Marcy? <laughs> I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, how, do how you, like, strong is this girl? The leverage involved. And then <laughs> what kind of ceiling? Because if this is a drop ceiling, right? Because you can move the tiles around. You can't, like, crawl on that above it. You're going to punch through. No. <laughs> yeah, it's so light. And Marcy obviously has the strength of, like, a gorilla because she can just, like, lift anyway. Cordelia straight up. We're you know what? We're going to pass by this. Buffy follows uh, Cordelia into the ceiling. Meanwhile, in the basement, Willows and our Giles are trying to break through the door, but they can't use anything really to break it down because if they make a spark the gas will cause an explosion and the whole school will be, ex you know, that, incinerated. That, that would whatever. be bad. I, I really, really hope that that doesn't happen. <laughs> this is just such a silly way to get Giles and Willow and Xander out of the way for the rest of the episode so that they can't help Buffy. Like, I feel the, writer, the writers were a little bit off this week when they were trying to figure out that piece of the puzzle of like, okay, how do we make sure Buffy's on her own for this battle? So, yeah. Also, I don't think they had to do that at all. They could have just had them in the library doing research, waiting for Buffy to come back with Cordelia, and then exactly. they just never come back, you know? But you you know what? This is more fun. So we cut back to Marcy's nest area where Cordelia's knocked out, and Buffy's trying to tend to her, but she's not paying attention to her surroundings, and Buffy gets kicked through the ceiling, which we already said is quite fragile, but, you know, three teenage girls can walk around on top of it. Buffy falls through into the classroom below. Marcy, we assume, jumps down because she's invisible. We can't see her. But she's got the doctor's bag and takes out a syringe and injects Buffy with it, who gets woozy and passes out. This is another scene where we're going to skate right by because Buffy wakes up and she's tied to a chair on stage at the bronze and Cordelia's tied to a chair next to her. We'll just say it now. Marcy, how did you get both those girls to the bronze by yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With no one seeing you in the middle of the day. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> Cordelia is awake, and she says to Buffy that she can't feel her face. It's numb. That's pretty scary. And written beside them on the curtain is learn. Giles, Willow, and Xander, they all agree that Marcy's gone mad, is what they say, and they're trying to break down the door using a battery ram, 
that uh, won't cause a spark, but they start to pass out. The gas is overtaking them. Marcy, in the meantime, is revealing her evil plot because, you know, you cannot get through an episode of season one without doing that. Uh, We're waiting for it. Here it is. And she's monologuing about how Cordelia's beautiful face makes her shine more than the rest of them. It's what everyone wants to be noticed, remembered, and seen. So that's when she reveals a tray of surgical tools and says she's going to give Cordelia a face that she'll never forget. And a scalpel starts floating in front of Cordelia's face. And Marcy says, like, you should be grateful. People who pass you on the street are going to remember you for the rest of their lives. Children will dream about you. And every one of your friends who comes to the coronation tonight will take the sight of the May Queen to their graves. And she also says that she gave Cordelia an aesthetic. And I thought that was, oh, that's nice. So she doesn't feel pain. But it's not. It's so that she doesn't faint. (laughs) during the surgery uh this is intense and Mm -hmm. scary and like saw level shit and i don't know if you've ever seen the movie the final no but it's a horror movie about a group of nerds quote nerds in a school who basically take all the popular kids and orchestrate this night where they uh, capture them and torture them one by one. Oh no, I can't! I can't do that kind of stuff. No, okay, this... so this is a taste of that from the final. <laughs> this scene creeps me out. It unsettles me. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it. And I get where they're going with Marcy's uh, downward spiral, but I also I just I don't like that they turn her into such an unsympathetic character. Right? I, I think. Yeah. Well, she's a monster. Yeah, and I think I think as much as it would have removed some of the final act's intensity uh, in terms of the threat level, I think it would have been stronger from a thematic point of view if Marcy had been somebody we could sympathize with right to the end and try to, like, save. Yeah, yeah, and Buffy's trying to save her, but she's too far gone, and she even, as, as she's monologuing, as, you know, once again, the villains cannot help themselves but reveal their plot before they do anything about it, Buffy has time to free herself, start to free herself from her bindings. And Marcy even goes as far as to cut Cordelia's face with the scalpel, which is awful. Um, and that's because Cordelia says, like, hey, I do understand how you feel. And Marcy's like like you know like oh what like your friends don't know you they don't know that you feel alone so it makes me think that marcy listened to that entire conversation right (laughs) um anyway buffy manages to break free and knocks the surgical tool table into marcy who falls back and then she starts to untie cordelia but that's when marcy knocks buffy over now we cut back to giles will and xander who are about to die (laughs) in the basement and that's when angel opens the basement door and helps giles and xander willow out xander ungratefully says what do you do what do you want or like what are you doing here Angel says he was bringing Giles the codex. He was bringing him the book and he came through the basement and he smelt the gas and he can go shut it off Um, because let's not forget that Angel's a vampire and he doesn't need oxygen. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't it convenient that, you know, it's like less than 24 hours after Giles was like, oh, you know, I wish I had this codex that's been lost for 500 years. And Angel's like, oh, I can find it for you. And not only can he get it, but he can get it in less than 24 hours, which implies that. It was somewhere in Sunnydale, right? And, like, it was pretty (laughs) easy for Angel to obtain. So is 
a is giles just a really bad librarian or yeah like it's just it's a very convenient kind of plot device but whatever good job angel boo xander you know I also want to say, like, Angel, if you could just get it within, like, an hour, why didn't you just bring it without telling Giles, do you need it? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So, anyway, you're right. It's convenient. We'll move on. Buffy is on the ground, and uh, she she gets up, and she says, you know, I did feel sorry for you, Marcy, but now I think that you really are a loony. So there is another, (sighs) like, mental illness it, it it's just treated very poorly in this episode. The fact mm-hmm. that we've heard like a couple of these ableist terms now. Mm-hmm. We've heard this is what the tenth, the twentieth <laughs> one we've heard this episode. Uh, enough, Buffy. Enough. Marcy starts beating Buffy up, um, and she's swinging just wildly. <laughs> and um, you know, Marcy's laughing at her. She's like, "How can you fight someone you can't see?" And that's when Buffy tells Cordelia to shut up. And Buffy closes her eyes and uses her slayer ears to hear Marcy. And to be honest, Marcy is already a mouth breather. Like, she's actually a loud breather. We know this from when Buffy was in her nest earlier and she was, like, <laughs> watching her with the knife. And she was like, yeah. <sighs> so Buffy hears her, punches her out. She falls into a curtain. And now that the curtain... Also, it's just the shot of Buffy, like, listening. It's a really nice slow motion shot there's just a little bit of like air circulation and it's just ruffling Buffy's hair and the camera is just moving kind of around her to show how she's concentrating. It's it's just a nice little bit of camera work right there. Yes, I agree. And it works because Buffy's able to punch Marcy in the face and Marcy, well, I don't, I assume it's in the face and Marcy falls back into a curtain and the curtain's now covering her, so Buffy's able to punch her one more time, knock her out. They got her. Uh, that's when those two mysterious officers uh, or men come in and they say they're FBI and they're going to take the girl. And Buffy says something really funny where she's like, where were you 10 minutes ago when she was playing surgeon? <laughs> right? <laughs> like so they've good. been watching this entire time, but they couldn't put it together. They couldn't figure anything <laughs> out. And then once they finally, I guess once they finally, like like if they were watching the school, why didn't they notice Marcy moving Buffy and Cordelia to the bronze, right? Two floating unconscious students. <laughs> Uh, being put into a car <laughs> but i mean they yeah. are they are the fbi so i guess this is just you know their usual level of confidence shh, shh. they're listening to us <laughs> be very careful with what you say about the fbi Hi, fbi listeners Hi. <laughs> thanks for all the content you send make me. sure you give us five stars on itunes <laughs> uh, so they, they escort her out and Buffy's asking them if they can cure her, and they say, oh, they'll rehabilitate her so she'll be useful in society again. Very useful. Wink. So Buffy just guesses that this has happened before, and they're just like, just forget this ever happened. And Buffy's like, you guys are creepy. Cordelia asks if she can be untied. The end. So the next day, Buffy is with Giles, Xander, and Willow, and she's asking them how they got out of the boiler room, and Xander's about to tell her, but Giles says it was the janitor who opened the door. Mm -hmm. So why lie? 
Is it to spare Buffy oh, yeah. the obsession with Angel? Yeah, this is <laughs> the a... The spiral that she would do? <laughs> this is a little white lie, and I think it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Because it, we know that sparing Buffy's feelings. Uh, Cordelia approaches them, and she says she didn't get a chance to say it the night before, but thank you. This is a really sweet scene. It is. It's so nice. She's like, you guys helped me. You didn't have to. It's very sweet. It's very genuine, you can tell. Mm -hmm. And that's when Willow extends a lunch invite to her. Like, why don't you come sit with us? And that's when Mitch comes up behind Cordelia with Cordelia's friends and says, are you hanging with these losers? And Cordelia, of course, because we know that she's chosen popularity. That's Mm -hmm. that's the lot in high school life that she's chosen. The mask comes down. Yep. And she says, uh, no, I was just being charitable and helping them with fashion. You think that joining that social leper colony is what I want to do? <laughs> and she walks away and Xander adds that, you know, where's an invisible girl when we need her? And you'd think that was the last scene, but that's when we cut to the FBI agents who are leading Marcy into a classroom and the classroom looks completely empty But a teacher is there, and she's like, welcome, come sit. And we see a chair move, so we're assuming Marcy's sitting at the desk, and we hear a bunch of other people and other kids in the classroom say, hi, Marcy. And she opens up her textbook to a chapter that's called Assassination and Infiltration. The end. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's a clever kind of ending it's a little bit unsatisfying because like we never see these people again we don't really know what comes of this wouldn't it be cool to like meet marcy in the future but this this is they're just writing her off you know i think it would have been more interesting if we had had to like find a way to change her back so this is the part of the episode that i always remembered remember i told you this is like a a classic to me like i remember this episode very well it's this scene that i remember and it is too bad that it's not even a spoiler like we never see marcy again we never Mm -hmm. hear about this invisible fbi you know insurgent whatever it is that they're doing here Mm -hmm. and i wish we did Mm -hmm. i wish that it did come around perhaps in three seasons or so you know we might have seen something similar to it in the future we, we do learn like the government or at least part of the government is aware of supernatural threats and that's going to come up later in the series but yeah this particular branch of the fbi or whatever it is never shows up <laughs> it just it, so it just it feels a little bit um random to just be in the episode like this at the end it's again i think as much as i enjoyed this episode for many reasons mostly cordelia um it's just the writing itself the plot is a little clunky and and i i i think that's really Season one, in a nutshell, is season one has a lot of heart and mm-hmm. it does a really good job establishing the characters, but many of the episodes themselves are the writing is not great. Yeah. Well, remember in a previous episode, we talked about how uh, out of all the episodes, it's kind of half and half episodes that you could skip mm-hmm. and episodes that are actually important or have mm-hmm. good development for the character in the series. I would put this one in the latter. I think this is oh, a absolutely. good episode. Like you said, some parts are kind of clunky, mm-hmm. right? It does suffer from a little bit of that, but 
I do believe that you could skip this episode and not have lost. Yeah, well, because it's not really connected to the main story arc. Like, obviously, Angel's scenes are setting things up, but you don't lose Mm -hmm. anything by learning how Giles acquires this prophecy codex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, this this episode is notable because there's no vampire dusting in this. There really is no monster. There is some combat, but it's fairly light. Like, this is a bit of a lighter episode in terms of Buffy having to act as the slayer and in that physical capacity, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty interesting as well. And I think this is something we should come back to in the uh, in our season one recap is have a bit of a discussion about season one um, versus, you know, our, our general memories of the series and how, like, I feel like this season is actually very light on the vampire slaying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who's your hero? You know, I was going to pick Buffy, but yeah. because Buffy is so unBuffy at the first half of this yeah. episode with the tripping and the bad lying and the unstealthiness, I'm picking Angel. Nice. <laughs> Angel Angel comes in with the prophecy book. <laughs> Angel comes in with the really great conversation with Giles. Angel saves uh 3 of our heroes <laughs> from death by gas. <laughs> And and he and he also is very respectful of Buffy's emotional boundaries. And yep. he's like, I'm not going near her Good point. because it's going to hurt. He's totally not. Like, he's the opposite of Edward Cullen. So good job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Who's your hero? Obviously, the two FBI guys. I mean, they just they showed up <laughs> in the nick of time to save the day. You know, Buffy could not have handled that situation on her own. Um, no, absolutely not. No, you're right. Great choice. Great choice. <laughs> no, uh, seriously though. Once again, Steph, you and I are on the same page. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Buffy as my hero. I think she did a good job in this episode be- because this is a tough thing for her to handle. Right? It is mm-hmm. especially when the monsters are human based and it's not as mm-hmm. clear cut about how to deal with it uh but i also did put in my notes that angel deserves an honorable mention i'm, I'm not willing to call him the hero just because you know he's not there for most of the episode he just kind of shows up <laughs> don't look so <laughs> injured <laughs> what? What? <laughs> um but he he definitely deserves a mention because i agree with you he saved the day for for at least giles willow and Sander. yeah as silly as it was, as we yeah. both agree that, you know, the Good gas job, thing Angel. was a little silly. <laughs> Good job. Without you, they would have died. And, you know, we all remember that you're a vampire. And thank <sighs> God that you reminded us. So this is that's great. And I do want to say that on Instagram today, we once, you know, we've said many times we have not established our listener corner name, but a couple people have started writing in. Mm-hmm. or engaging with us online. And on Instagram, I put up a question that just said, would Cordelia be just as good a slayer as Buffy if she were chosen? Because we see a lot of comparisons between Buffy and Cordelia in that Cordelia is living the life that Buffy would have mm-hmm. lived had she had a different path. So let's just say if Cordelia was chosen and not Buffy, would it be that different? And Rob reached out and he said that they would be different kinds of slayers unlike buffy i feel like season one cordelia wouldn't let her social life be ruined by her destiny at all okay whereas buffy always has the push and pull between both worlds oh that's a pretty interesting observation yeah i like that i like that too um I don't know. I don't I think I think it's hard to say because I do feel like there's so much similarity between Buffy and Cordelia and Buffy was forced to grow up a lot quicker. 
And so, Cordelia hasn't had that push yet. I think my question is, would Cordelia end up with a reliable support network like Buffy has, right? Like, I think this is what Buffy has that she didn't have in the movie and that as far as we're aware so far, other Slayers haven't really had, right? Buffy has Giles, Xander, and Willow. And Cordy doesn't really have that. So mm-hmm. I think that would be interesting. I think Cordelia would probably struggle a lot more with the weight of the destiny, right? Like the prophecy and having to save the world um, if she didn't find some better friends. Because do, do you see Harmony like compiling a list of dead students for you? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> But but that's the thing is like when Rob says that there would be two very different kinds of slayers. You're right. Buffy has established yeah. herself as a very uh, like how would you even say it like a, like a group slayer. Like mm-hmm. she uses the people around her, and those are her tools. Those are the people that keep her grounded, but also help her. And would mm-hmm. Cordelia have that based on her personality? Like Cordelia on the outside is very shallow. She calls people's losers to their face. Would she have people rally around her the same way? Yeah, I think her road would be different, I agree, and difficult. Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comments we have as Cordelia's character changes and she finds uh, and her relationships change in the series. So, yeah, I agree. So thanks, Rob, for your contribution. Yeah, so that so this was a good episode. I liked it. Mm-hmm. We have one left. Oh my gosh, we have one left, and then season one is done, and we're gonna have a recap episode that follows it, mm-hmm. and then possibly the movie. Are we gonna do? We're we gonna do the movie. Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about the movie. Yeah, <laughs> we're almost done season one. I hope we get renewed. I hope we get renewed as well. I guess we'll have to wait and see what the WB thinks <laughs> of our content. Bye, everyone. Have a nice summer. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you've got some comments, message us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week. Bye.